Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Billboard on Broadway podcast. I'm your host, Rebecca Millsoff, senior editor at Billboard and Broadway fan here. So on previous podcast episodes, I've talked about the performers in the musical theater world who are kind of like rock stars because of their stage presence, their voices, uh, and the crazy degree of fandom that they enjoy. Uh, stage dooring is, is a very real thing in the world of musical theater. And when I think of the leading men today who fit into that category, Ramin Karimlu is one of the first who comes to mind for sure. He became famous for playing multiple roles in each of the two most mega mega of mega musicals ever uh, on the West End in London. He was Jean Valjean, Marius, and Enjolras in Les Miserables, and he's played the Phantom and Raoul in The Phantom of the Opera. He was also handpicked by Andrew Lloyd Webber to star in the sequel to Phantom, Love Never Dies, and he starred in the huge 25th anniversary productions of both those shows. Uh, You may have seen the Les Mis one uh, because Nick Jonas starred in it uh, as Marius. In 2014, Ramin made his Broadway debut after already having had this huge career in London. He played Jean Valjean in the new production of Les Mis on Broadway, for which he was nominated for a Tony. And now he's starring in Anastasia, which is still going strong uh, on a Broadway run right now. So everything about his career so far, including most obviously his voice, which is a total force of nature, is pretty epic. But like so many performers in the musical theater world, he's not all Broadway all the time. He makes his own music as well. That's actually a lot quieter than what you hear him do on a big stage. He loves the world of country, bluegrass, and kind of folk rock. And he's brought that sensibility to Broadway classics, ranging from Oh, What a Beautiful Morning to Old Man River uh, and Empty Chairs and Empty Tables from Les Mis, of course. Um, And he's actually called his sound Broadgrass before for that reason. Ramin has a band, in fact, and he'll be performing with them at B.B. King's in New York, July 23rd and 24th. So we chatted ahead of those shows about the unique career he's had so far and his musical inspirations. Fair warning, Ramin is Canadian and there is a lot of talk about the tragically hip ahead. Hello. Nice to see you. I I just saw you in Anastasia recently, which was delightful. I went around singing Journey to the Past for like many, many, many weeks afterwards. You mean you didn't Um, leave the theater singing still over and over again? (laughs) That classic? (laughs) I don't know. It's it's not what, perhaps it's not what little girls dreamed of growing up, but you were very compelling. (laughs) And it was not lost on me that you were basically playing Javert. Am I? I think so. I, I don't see it, but... You don't see it at all? No. I feel like it's a very Javert-esque moment for you. Well, Javert's a cop. He's a military man. He's a, he's a conflicted man. Javert chased a guy. This guy chases a girl. I think that still is sort of stars-esque. No? I don't know. I, every time when, when they presented me the song and wrote it for me, it never crossed my mind. Well, we will agree to disagree, but it was, it was going through my mind as I was watching. <laughs> well, I'm, I love hearing this like new music from you, which I, I suppose that I remember hearing your like banjo rendition of Bring Him Home, and mm. it didn't occur to me that bluegrass was something that was really like important to you as music. Um, so I'm curious how growing up in Canada, 
how did you get introduced to musical theater versus sort of the world of bluegrass and rock music? It was all organic. You know, it wasn't something that was, you know, how kids and their families get brought up with, like, these musical films and whatnot. Like, I, to this day, I haven't seen Wizard of Oz or Sound of Music. It wasn't part of our family DNA. Um, the music just... My brother had a lot to do with that. He introduced me to bands like Tragically Hip, and we had records of Johnny Cash. Uh, I don't know why my father had Johnny Cash records, or he liked Kenny Rogers, so I had that sort of storytelling with the country sound. Uh-huh. And then I remember as a kid, my ear really took to like unique sounding voices. So uh, the Gordon Downey from The Hip, Johnny Cash had this history to his voice, Tracy Chapman, Ray Charles. And then when I saw Phantom on a school trip, Colm Wilkinson was the Phantom. Uh-huh. And, you know, I love that non-trained in quotations, you know, lack of a better term, but he's got such a soulful voice, and it's not not to say people sing by numbers, but he's got this unique sound, which really was a sound of its own. Mm-hmm. So my ear was in my heart. His voice was able to, like, suck your emotion right out of your body. And I remember thinking that would... And the part was so cool. And I never really was into musicals at that time, and when I left, I wasn't into musicals. I was just into the arts. I was into. I kept thinking I want to be an actor. I didn't think there was a line between musical theater. How people go, you want to be musicals or do you want to be an actor? I'm like, what does that mean? It's the same thing. <laughs> it's just actually, I would have thought slightly harder on your craft to get song in there as well and uh-huh. to make it truthful. So it was a culmination of all those things. And you met Calm, right? When you saw him, what did he talk to you about? Well, I remember just thinking when I saw him, I thought, I want to do what you do. How do you do that? And I remember thinking, like a musical night, because like myself and him, we don't, now that I know him as a friend as well, and when we jam, not much has changed. <laughs> I want to watch is, you and Colin Wilkinson jamming. That would oh, be amazing. <laughs> look, I'd still try and play cool, but last time we did, I remember thinking, Colin Wilkinson is sat right in front of me, and we were just jamming and that 12 year old fan came out but I was able to suppress it in front of him because he's still someone I look up to nowadays as more as a man as as much as a artist but when I met him back in the day I remember thinking what did you do how did what was your path and he talked about he was in rock bands and stuff so then I thought well I'll get into bands maybe that'll help you know get me singing and whatnot I never once thought I had a good voice I don't think like that now because it's irrelevant what I think doesn't matter if people show up, great. <laughs> then you know you're doing all right. There's something that they're into. It's not like I'm going into singing competitions and stuff like that. Yeah. I sing because I want to tell a story. Um, so I just tr- followed, you know, at the, back in the days before social media, and I think people worked a bit harder to get what they wanted. You know, it's not this instant, like to happen instantly mm-hmm. wasn't in our DNA then. So he would talk about certain things, I would do it. I'd read interviews. I still have the Esquire interview with Pacino, and there's another one I've got of De Niro, and they talked about Uta Hag and Lee Strasberg. So I'd go to the library and look up these names. Oh, mm-hmm. they're acting teachers. And I'd get books on them, and I would read those books. And then the more I read, the more I wanted to do it, and the more I thought, I could do this. I can. Why can't I do it? And I was from a small town, so I never mm-hmm. thought, what if it doesn't happen? Ignorance was bliss. I thought, yes. well, why can't it happen? Why can't I do it? <laughs> well, so how did you discover that you had this voice? Because, I mean, like him, you have a very, I think, instantly recognizable voice that's pretty singular. Well, that means a lot. Thank you. Um, <laughs> look, for me, 
singing is still a discovery. I'm finding different ways to sing, different things to try. So I don't, I don't even think along the lines what I've discovered. I just keep trying to discover. And when I do concerts or I do, sh well, if I do concerts and people show up, great. <laughs> we keep doing it. If people keep hiring me for parts, great. Then we'll keep doing it. Then I'll keep discovering. And if people keep hiring me and coming, then what? Well, I don't. What else can I? How else can I think? I just keep, keep trying to get better and better. So you, but when you were younger, you sang in bands. Yeah, a what? tribute to the tragically hip. We started wow. with that. Very Canadian. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I just loved that guy's voice and his stories. And there was something actually quite theatrical about Gordon Downey as well. Sure, Especially sure. stage uh, performance. And the band, I remember when I got to meet them too, I was like, they were the nicest group. I was on cloud nine. I'll never forget that. <laughs> November 2007. Um, so, yeah, we started doing that. Then I got into an original band where we started writing music, started doing community theater you know, productions of Bye Bye Birdie. But my first one was a play, and um, Lost in Yonkers, which I loved. Uh, Grease had to do that, of course. <laughs> and then from there, you know, I wasn't doing well in school because my head was always in the clouds. <laughs> I got a job as a waiter and a cook in a bar, a sports bar. And I learned everything about life in that bar. And my boss, Mike Nelson, I'll never forget him. <laughs> and um, then... You know, we had the equivalent of, what's the paper here that people look for auditions? Backstage, I, know, like backstage I think. Backstage, yeah. probably. We had something similar to that in Toronto, and I saw audition for a cruise ship. I auditioned, and next thing you know, I'm flying to England to start going to rehearsals to board a, a cruise ship. And I don't think I've ever been on a boat at that point. <laughs> like, oh, my God. Well, I I find sort of the like the arc of your fame very interesting in within the musical theater world because you had such a huge career in London and I think really well known there, and then you came here for Les Mis and it was like discovering this new leading man when you've really been around for some time. I mean, what was that kind of transition like for you? It's weird because I I toured with the band first a couple years prior to that and the tour sold out and I remember all the promoters like who is this guy he's never even been on Broadway how is he selling tickets <laughs> at a time when not many tickets were selling so I took that as a compliment for us in the band but you know I wasn't one of those that also and I don't mean to downplay anything but like it wasn't all about Broadway for me mm -hmm. I actually had a couple offers before and I wasn't interested in leaving England I didn't want to leave my family and it's I always said it's got to be the right thing so it wasn't like Broadway was the mecca. I want to work on New York because what a, there's a lot going on here. There's great talent out here, just like there's great talent in London mm -hmm. and in Toronto, in Japan. So for me, I wanted to be diverse, but I want to go to those places when the role was creative. Just something inside me. My whole life has been about instinct, so I'm I'm too old to kind of change that now. I've <laughs> just got to keep trusting it. So the previous offers my instinct were like no 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 and then with Les Mis first it was Toronto and then with New York nothing said no and when Mandy my wife was like I think this would be a good opportunity for you and I thought okay well we'll give it a go <laughs> so whether and then I, to go to your original question how it felt you know it was still my first time here so I never expected a fanfare or any uh, no one owed me anything so let's just come and grind and graft our way and hopefully leave a good impression you certainly did um i 
with the band? I mean, was that always going on for you in tandem with the musical theater career? Like, did you always feel that you needed to have both happening at once to be kind of like artistically satisfied? No, um, the band was always a, a passion thing and a byproduct of the stage work I was doing. And that I'll mm-hmm. never not appreciate. And I won't forget that because it's not like it came the other way around. I wasn't a, a music artist who now got into theater. Mm-hmm. But I got signed to Sony when I was in Love Never Dies, but I wasn't even looking for a record deal. It wasn't even on my radar. They phoned me through a friend. It was such a weird story. I remember Simon Bailey was like, do you want to sign with Sony? I'm like, what are you talking about, <laughs> sign with Sony? I was like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> and he goes, no, seriously, and this is what they're offering for an advance. I was like, what are you talking about? Why are they phoning you? <laughs> I said, whatever. Long story short, it turned out to be a real thing. Ended up thinking, okay, I'll give it a go. Why not? And they were willing to also work with me as a original artist to try new things. So there was, you know, with the best intentions, I'm very proud of that album we did with Sony, although it didn't, I don't think we achieved what we wanted to, but I learned so much. But through that and touring, I realized that I didn't really need to be in studio so much as I loved being with the band, having a hang on stage treating what we do with the band like as if we're all singing around the kitchen sink and just happen to have people mm-hmm. there enjoying it as well. So we don't take ourselves too seriously with the band, but we take the music seriously. And it's just a great hang for anyone who comes. And we just thought, I want to keep that as a passion thing. So when there's time to do that and it fits in with family time and work with stage or TV stuff, then we do it. So is when you're with the band, is it kind of a different kind of singing for you? Because I feel like, I mean, your your voice is like a force of nature, <laughs> to put it mildly. And I think of those sort of bluegrass, you know, genres, like having much more of a sort of naturalistic, laid back feel. And, you know, it's, it seems like one or the other must be kind of a different kind of challenge 100%. for you. 100%. Because even like when I do Bring Him Home, whether I'm on a guitar or banjo or just with the band, I do sing it differently than I would as Jean Valjean in character because that took a while to also appreciate that this is now Ramin trying to tell the story not the character because for the longest time I couldn't do the Phantom stuff because I didn't know how to do it outside of the character because I felt pretty cheesy doing it <laughs> on with just a band or even even when I would do it with orchestras in a suit you know like at a concert function it felt weird to kind of still being in character I'm like this doesn't make sense and also I want to keep the Phantom as the Phantom for the Phantom <laughs> outside of that it's got to be different nothing mm-hmm. worse than seeing someone still trying to act it out I just I don't know for me that I can't it doesn't resonate with me so then but we found ways of like still trying to tell the story because I as much as when we do the theater stuff with the band I don't want to lose the drama that was written by the or the energy so we still want to honor the composers and the writers, but we also want to be truthful with the instruments we have and mm-hmm. not pretend to be something it's not. And I think now we finally cracked it because we just have a blast doing it and we don't think about it. So when we do Beautiful Morning, it does have a bluegrass feel, but it feels like the energy of that story as well. When we do Anthem, although we amp it up with a slightly different section in the middle, I still feel it's anthemic. And Mm -hmm. then it allows me to sing with that sort of more theatrical, passionate voice, but still be in tune with the band and that sort of vibe we're given. So is that the whole idea of broad grass? 
<laughs> yeah. That's was that was sort of like what got us started. Like I don't really like now you'll notice I don't hashtag that word anymore because I think it served what it needed to do. Now when people come to my show, I've had such great support with it that people know what's going to happen now. It's an eclectic taste, an eclectic set list, but mm-hmm. somehow it seems to be working. Like Old Man River with just acoustic guitar. It's one of my favorite things to do in the show. Who knew that would work? And the reaction, like people, I love hearing what people take away from it. We've added being alive. I never thought that would work with, and now when I think about it, I'm like, well, why wouldn't it work with just an acoustic guitar and upright bass bowing? Mm-hmm. And when you hear Nick bow, it's amazing. But you know, with when what I loved about bluegrass, the folk, the theater, and it's all storytelling. So as long as we're just telling a story, like I'm not out there to show off and sing because I like the sound of my voice. I like telling stories. And these songs tell stories. And my audience like to hear stories. Thankfully, they like hearing me tell them. <laughs> and then, you know, and that's what it's about. And I was going to say that, you know, great songwriting, too, doesn't need a lot of embellishment. Like, no. it's not all that surprising to me that Old Man River just with guitar would probably be beautiful. And Music on a Night with just guitar works stunning oh i'm sure and that's what i learned while i was working with great songwriters with tons more experience than me and they were like if it doesn't work with just a guitar we scrap the song Mm -hmm. so then when we try the theater stuff and i got matt coming over who i did murder ballad with we had a lot of time in the dressing room to try new things and he's so good at just picking stuff up quick and he goes what do you think of this and when we did high flying adored i'm like wonderful that sounds great and we have other ideas but obviously you need time to nice <laughs> so how do you when you're putting together a show like how do you structure it like what can people expect to hear at the show it's a i call it a hoot nanny you know it's there's no sort i was of, gonna say there's a bit of a hoot nanny but yeah I there's think. no real like that's why it's not cabaret because there's no sort of like i guess through line you know it's i i try and base i look when I try and learn how to do set lists and think the energy flow, I look at bands and how they work. Ava Brothers, The Hip, U2, there's a flow to their set list, and no two set lists are the same for us. We will swap songs, we will some nights not do something. If we're not feeling it, we won't do it, because I'd rather people hear us 100% convicted behind a song, whether it's one of the big ones or not. If one night we're not feeling it, I'm not gonna give them a diluted version of that song. We have enough of a repertoire that I feel there's something for everyone, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's a lot of fun. But, you know, there's going to be emotional moments in the show because these songs lend themselves to that. Bring them home, done with, you know, with that. when you hear the fiddle or Hush by a Mountain, the way Georgina puts her fiddle f- flair on it is breathtaking. I would go say it must be a very, like, quiet show where you can kind of hear everyone in the audience yeah it gets rowdy though too but we're going to do a thing with these bb king shows no cell phones people are going to be present and it's going to be hard work for some (laughs) to not actually watch a show through a cell phone because i don't want to look at cell phones i want to look at people's eyes i want to talk to them and we want to try new things and we don't we want to go old school on this and actually have an audience with us and us for them you know Mm mm-hmm Sounds intense. Yeah, and we're going to have a photographer there, so she'll take photos, and then we can share them out. And they'll actually be good photos. (laughs) (laughs) People will be able to remember what they didn't remember without their cell phones. But you'd be surprised what the memory can capture, and people don't allow their brain to do that work anymore. Oh, completely. No, it, like, screens interfere with 
whenever I go on vacation, I'm always struck by the fact that like you don't need to take pictures of everything. When we go to Cancun this summer, I'm saying to my kids and wife, I said, we're putting our cell phones away for a week. We will take photos with an actual camera. Let's see how that works. We'll have a novel. Wow. <laughs> but there's no memory back in the day with Calm or The Hip or Peter Carey. Anyone who I met that I looked up to, I have them etched in my brain. I don't have a photo of it. Mm-hmm. Um, videos, none of that. I don't need it, and I wouldn't want it. I've got it all there, and mm-hmm. I think. So let's try that with these concerts. Yeah, who who do you listen to now? Who you look up to vocally? Since clearly, you don't only listen to musical theater. Oh, I don't even have theater on my i uh, iPhone, but um, <laughs> you know, you can't. I just I'm not gonna be far removed from any Avett Brothers song. I've been listening actually some old school Crash Test Dummies recently. Interesting. Some great tunes. Yeah. I was reminding myself, I was like, wow, those guys were great. Um, I've been listening to hip a lot. Uh, Rag and Bone Man. Mm-hmm. That guy's phenomenal. Totally. He's got some amazing vocals. Um, yeah, you know, when I try and sing along to the, all those different styles, I always, when kids ask me, you know, what do you do for your voice and whatnot, knowing I'm not trained, what I try and do is sing all, a bunch of different styles. I don't own in on just one thing. You want to be versatile, diverse. I just see it like a muscle. You won't do one exercise in the gym, would you? Mm-hmm. You would, you know, you got a lot of uh, various moves to get a great body or be in shape or healthy. Well, it works like that with the voice, I think. That makes sense. Uh, so going back to Anthem, which I love your version of, uh, tell me about why you chose that and sort of what your interpretation is I've always be. loved singing that song. and. Don't get me wrong, when you do that as it was meant to be sung with a massive orchestra, it is powerful stuff. Yes. <laughs> Since we don't have that orchestra, I thought, okay, so one day I started, and also when I first moved to England, three days fresh off the plane, I auditioned for this cruise ship, 9.30 in the morning, handwritten resume, which was full of lies, photograph, photocopied photo of myself to hand in for this cruise ship audition. Mm-hmm. 9.30 in the morning, I hand it, to a lady called Amanda. She takes me in. Turns out, in a few years' time, I'm gonna marry that girl. <laughs> but I remember singing for her, and I sang anthem for my audition. And that oh. got me the job. Uh-huh. So that song's always meant something to me anyways, as much as I loved it. Now it's got a personal memory. And then when I started learning it on the guitar, I remember when I first got the chords, I'm like, oh, I can play these chords. <laughs> Let me try <laughs> anthem on the guitar. And it worked. And then I thought, when it kicks in the middle, I'm like, what can we do to give it that sort of our band vibe and I thought well if we go out I think it's 6-8 time this is my lack of musicianship now <laughs> and I thought I really want to hear the banjo give it that sort of Mumford and Sons feel here and then we found that it worked and the vocals can still f- fit over it and then we've added some harmonies I'm like this is a lot of fun it completely has a very Mumford feel in the, as it like picks up in the middle And but it, for me it still feels anthemic it's got that driving beat it's passionate it's proud mm-hmm. So I'm like, well, I'm happy with this version. Let's keep, let's keep it in the set. Well, when I when I saw just the song title, I wasn't sure whether it was going to be Anthem from Chess or the Leonard Cohen song, and I would love right. to see you do that too. But Next when you're time, ready we'll for another anthem, you can do that. Um, well, it's so great to talk to you. Thanks and, for having me. Uh, everybody should go to BB Kings and see the shows. Yeah, July 23rd and 24th.
I would totally recommend checking out Ramin's music. It's all over Spotify if you want a little Ramin Karimlu sampler. Uh, and again, he will be singing in New York July 23rd and 24th at BB King's. If you're a fan of the Billboard on Broadway podcast, please subscribe on iTunes. Please give me lots of stars and nice reviews if you feel so inclined. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Rebecca Millsoff. Uh, you can always use the hashtag Billboard on Broadway if you want to tweet about the podcast. And I hope you'll tune in again next week. Subtle results, still you, but with fewer lines. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia Gravis or Lambert-Eden syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com.